All right. Get everyone. All right. Well, as you're finding your seats, welcome to our Adult Bible Fellowship as we continue our study in 1 Thessalonians. We're getting close now to the end of the study. And so I hope there's, it's been a, a good encouragement to you. So we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're going to focus on verses 9 through 11. And this is, as you can see, part D of the study. And it wasn't, it wasn't ever meant to have four um, sections, but it just ended up that way. There's just so much good uh, information um, in each, each of these verses, so... I'm, I'm glad we took our time and went through it. But let's go ahead and uh, pray, and then we'll get into our study. Father, thank you, Lord, so much for this day. Thank you for bringing us here safely. And uh, for those that might be watching online as well, thank you for them tuning in. Um, we just uh, thank you for what was already accomplished and what you did in the worship service this morning. And I pray you continue to work in our hearts based on what we've heard there. And, and now, Lord, as we sit down together and look at your word, Help us to grow and learn and uh, just be, please be glorified in everything that's said and done in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 9 through 11 is where we're going to be. And if, you're, if you've been following along on the outline, um, we're on the Roman numeral number 4, which is what to expect. So I'm not going to do a lot of review this morning. We're just going to jump right into where we left off last week. So uh, we're looking at this. We've a asked these other questions, uh, what we know. We, we talked about that. We talked about who we are. Uh, we talked about uh, how we're supposed to live. And now we're going to look at the last two, um, what to expect, and then hopefully we'll get to the last one as well. So I'm going to read those verses, First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. For God did not appoint us to wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. And so we're going to focus on these particular verses this morning and understand he's giving us some things to expect in the future. What can we expect based on what he's been teaching uh, okay, and so if you're following along, there are some blanks to fill out if you're a person that wants to do that. So letter A, what to expect, not wrath. So we're going to give you what not to expect first, and then we'll give, us, give ourselves what or see what to expect. And we get this out of the first part of verse number 9. So First Thessalonians 5, the first part of the verse says that God did not appoint us to wrath. God did not appoint us to wrath. Wrath is always used to speak of God's judgment. Um, and it comes in different phases and in different ways, but it's always talking about uh, God's judgment. And according to this verse, the believer is not destined to have to endure God's wrath. Now, there's different views on this. Some think this wrath means something different, and I, I believe this means future wrath, tribulation type of wrath. And I want to show you why I think that. Uh, but there, there is other aspects of God's wrath um, that are present tense. 
So when we see that in Romans chapter 1, uh, it says the wrath of God is revealed. It's being revealed. That's a present tense verb. It is being revealed from heaven uh, to earth or to men. And then in verses 24, 26, and 28 of Romans 1, we see the three stages of his present day wrath. And really, I, I refer to it as, and I don't know if others might agree or not, but as kind of a passive wrath. Because in those verses, it says that God um, just kind of takes his hands away and allows the consequences of sin to have a fuller effect. And, and he uses the phrase in each of those verses, God gave them over. He gave them over to this. He gave them over to that. And it's like these three steps down into the basement of depravity where their mind is now just depraved. And are they without hope? No, no one is, I don't believe. But it is a very dark place to be mentally and spiritually. And so God's not necessarily pouring out. He's just kind of pulling back more. And so that, but that's the same word. It's orge, the same Greek word used there in Romans 1 as we see here in 1 Thessalonians 5. So sometimes there's uh, different views on this. Uh, what does this mean that God did not appoint us to wrath? Well, um, I believe in the context that this is talking about future wrath. And if you, it, we always study the Bible in its context. So what's going on around the verse that we're looking at, what's going on in the, in the kind of the message of the book so far, and then where does it fit within um, the greater context of uh, either the New Testament or the Old Testament, and then we, zoom, we just keep zooming out. Where does that fit in the context of the whole Bible? So if we look at this verse that God did not appoint us to wrath, and we look at it in the immediate context, he's been saying throughout this whole um, book so far that Christians are not going to go through God's pouring out wrath. Um, and we see that in some of these verses. Uh, in Back in chapter 1, verse 10, we talked about this when we studied that part. It says that uh, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Talking about future wrath. So, Jesus saves us. He's the only one that does this, but he saves us from God's future wrath as believers. Um, it's also a reference back to uh, the day of the Lord. Um, again, in Romans 5, 9, that we've been justified by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. So this is going out of 1 Thessalonians, but staying within the Pauline epistles. So you go to the same author. You see how he used the word in different places. It helps you understand how he's probably using it here in the text that we're in. So again, wrath being that future uh, judgment. Um, we also talked about uh, earlier in this chapter uh, Romans 5.3, when they say, remember we looked at the pronouns, they versus us, unbelievers um, versus believers, they, the unbelievers say peace and safety, everything's fine, we've got our one world government, we've got our, everything's in order, and then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. So they shall not escape, but that's not necessarily, that's not talking about believers not escaping. And then in the following verse, you, brethren, you're not in darkness, so that this day, capital D, day, talking about the day of the Lord, the time of God's final judgment on earth, that day was, is basically saying that's not going to overtake you. It's going to overtake them as a thief. That's not going to overtake you, believers, um, as a thief. So these are important things. So we're not appointed to wrath, but, and if you keep reading in verse number nine, uh, we are appointed 
to salvation. He says, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're not appointed to go through that wrath. He's given us the contrast. We're appointed to be saved through Christ. So this salvation, and again, we're in this context. What has he just used? What, what word picture has he just used earlier uh, in verse number 8 to help us understand the hope of salvation? What, what, what piece of armor did he use there? Verse number 8. What's that? The helmet, right. The protective uh, cover over our mind, over our life. And so he's just given us this instruction, this hope of heaven, this excitement. Remember, biblical hope that's that, you know, we anticipate it. We're ready for it. We're excited about it happening. So why would he then say, but but you still have to go through God's wrath? So these things aren't adding up. In context, he's saying, look, you, you have the helmet, you have the hope of salvation, you're appointed to obtain salvation through uh, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So he's talking here. It's right on the heels of describing the helmet. Um, verse number 10, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. And we'll come back to this verse. Um, actually, no, we're talking about it right now. Jesus took God's wrath so that we would not have to endure it. It says, uh, he died for us. That's the part I wanted to focus on, the first part of the verse. He died for us. In other words, he died in our place. Jesus took the wrath for everyone that believes in him so that they don't have to endure it. So he's just constantly making these arguments that the, the wrath of God's been poured out on Christ on the cross for everyone that would believe. Uh, so why would the Christian then have to once they put their faith in Christ, he's the propitiation, he's the satisfaction for our sin. Why would they have to go through uh, God's wrath again? Somebody had their hand up. Paul. Right. Right. He absorbed the pain from being separated. Right. He absorbed the pain from being separated from God. Yeah, that's a good way to put it as well. So, Christ took it for us. Uh, we see this also in um, the book of Hebrews uh, 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down on, at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured it. He, he, what was his last words? It is what? It is finished. It's done. Um, it's been paid in full, paid in full. And so we can rest in that. We are not appointed to go through God's wrath. Now we go back to our verse number 10. Let's look at the rest of it. He died for us that whether, and here's the promise, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together uh, with him. Now Paul has used sleep in a couple of different ways, if you remember. Um, he used it as a euphemism for physical death earlier in, in the letter. And then he used it last in a different way. Who remembers how he used sleep just previous to this? Anybody remember? What's that? Yeah, spiritual like lethargy, uh, spiritual kind of numbness or laziness for the believer. Believers can sleep in a sense spiritually, and he calls us to wake up in the previous verses. 
where we can get kind of just lackadaisical with our spiritual life. We can kind of get lazy with interacting and engaging with scripture. We don't pray as often. We start to drift, right? We start to drift spiritually. So he used it as a euphemism for physical death. Then he used it as a description for the kind of spiritual lethargy that the Christian can fall into. And now I believe he's going back to using it the way he did at the beginning uh, for physical death. And that's, that I believe is the promise. He's saying, whether we wake, or in other words, we're part of that generation of believers that he describes in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 there at the end, that will be caught up together with the Lord. They'll be raptured. They won't taste, that generation of believers will not taste physical death. They'll be awake physically, and they'll be caught up with the Lord. But he also says, whether we wake or sleep. So he's kind of circling back to his argument earlier. We should live together with him, helping the believers understand, I know that you've lost loved ones. I know that you're under intense persecution. They actually were being persecuted here in Thessalonica. But for, for God, he's basically saying that uh, physical death is just not a problem for God. It's just not an issue for him. Uh, it's literally as easy uh, for God as us waking someone up. Now, if you have a teenager, um, that's not the best analogy, but I think you see what I mean. Eventually, I mean, we can wake them up eventually. The cold bucket of water will do it every time. Um, no, I've never done that, I don't think. Um, but any case, yeah, I've seen it done. I've always wanted to, but I never did. Never did. No. So, but, but for God, really, it's really uh, not a problem. He's helping them just reminding them and reminding us physical death for God is just not an issue. For us, it's a big issue. When we we grieve loss, we've been grieving these recent losses. But for God, it's not a problem. It's not an issue. Um, Death has lost its sting for the believer. Yes, there's still the the mourning and the grieving here in this life, but in in an eternal sense, there is no sting. So, Uh, He's giving them this encouragement as he continues on. Um, He also talked about this back in chapter 4, verse 15. Um, And I meant to go to the slide when I talked about the rapture. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Talking about those believers that have died physically. They'll actually, they actually get to the front they get the front row, they get the first call, and then uh, those that, that are still alive, that are awake, physically alive, will be caught up after them. So that is what to expect from the future. And he's, again, all of this comes back to comfort. He, we're going to look at verse 11 about comfort. He's already said uh, in a previous verse, comfort one another. At the verse at the end of verse, um, I'm sorry, at the end of chapter four, verse eighteen. Therefore, comfort one another with these words, and we're going to see multiple times throughout the letter of First Thessalonians. He has repetitively told them and encouraged them: comfort each other, remind each other, draw each other in close, and that's that's the whole purpose of telling these future events. Which to me is another indication that believers are not appointed, are not going to go through that final. Uh, apocalyptic wrath that we hear described, we've been talking about on Sunday mornings through Revelation. 
We're not appointed to that. What kind of comfort is all of those uh, judgments, the seal judgments and the bowls and the trumpets and all of that? What kind of comfort is there in that? There is no comfort in the day of the Lord. We looked at the Old Testament passages. The prophets say, why do you want the day of the Lord? There's nothing good that's going to happen uh, in a general sense. Obviously, people will get saved during that time. But overall, it will be a horrible time to be on planet Earth. What comfort is there in that? And so we, we look at these different arguments and we come to this conclusion. Okay, I'll pause for a moment. Any, any comments or thoughts? Or? All right, Gail, what is it? <laughs> yeah. What, you're asking what's going to happen in heaven? It's... I don't know for sure, Gail, but it is going to be amazing. It is going to be so far above what we can really even imagine. It's Oh, definitely walk on streets of gold. Definitely. That's one thing I know. And we're going to see the Lord Jesus face to face, so everything else is just details. Yeah, we're going to see our loved ones. That's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I know you have. I know you have, Gail. I don't know for sure, Gail. I just know that you and I are going to have some good talks in heaven, and I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to that a lot. All right, let's move on to the next point, um, how to respond. And I love, again, how Paul gives these instructions, and he gives the prophecy, he gives the things that are going to happen. Then he jumps right into the application because we, and we, I think we need that. We, we, it's important that we know all these things, but there's always an application. I love how Pastor Rich does that. When he's going through these prophetic passages, there's an application. It's not just so that we know what's going to happen in the future, uh, but that we can actually respond to it in some way. So that's all in verse 11. And it says, Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. So we're going to break that apart into these three sections. First of all, to comfort one another. Um, And that is the, I don't know if the slide will show it. That is the letter A, if you're doing your blanks there. Comfort one another is the first one. And this word comfort, parakaleo, means, and we've talked about this already several times in this study, it means to call near, to invite alongside for encouragement. Uh, Way back, I think it was in chapter 3 or somewhere, where he talks about the ideal father. That, and the ideal mother as well, but the ideal father calls their son or daughter to them and they wrap their big arm around them as a dad and they bring them in close and they comfort them and they embrace them. And that is, that is what this is talking about. He says, comfort one another. Um, another uh, dictionary definition of, for, from uh, Mounts, he says this is used 109 times in the New Testament. 109 uses of this word, and eight of those are in 1 Thessalonians alone. So out of the 109, he puts eight times this is mentioned, and I wanted to go through that with you. Um, and they're not always, uh, the, the translators didn't always translate this Greek word with the same English word, and I think based on the context they were trying to grab the right English word to match, and that's the difficulty of translation from one language to another is you're trying to find the best 
English word, let's say in this case for the, what's on the Greek in the Greek manuscript. And so you're, we're going to go through these verses, these eight um, times. I want to look at every single one of them uh, with you to under, give us a really, hopefully, a greater understanding, a greater scope of what it means to be comforted. And so we're going to look at this in these different words. And so in 1 Thessalonians 2.11, we see the first use of the word in this book. And he says, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. So this was the passage I was referring to earlier when we talked about the ideal family. So the word is actually not comforted in this one. It's actually the word exhorted. So they chose to put the word exhorted in there for the word that we looked at earlier as comforted. So 1 Thessalonians 2.11, that we exhort one another. Um, and then in chapter 3, verse 2, uh, the word is going to be encourage, encourage. And they sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you, the, those at Thessalonica, Paul and uh, Silas, the ministry team, they sent young Timothy up there, their protege or Paul's protege. Go see how they're doing up there in Thessalonica. We're, we haven't heard from them. We're worried about them. Uh, so they sent Timothy to do what? To establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. And that's where the word is used in that verse. So we're, we're supposed to exhort one another, encourage one another. Again, all going back to the drawing close, uh, being in fellowship. Uh, chapter 3, verse 7, Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted, that's the word again, concerning you by your faith. And then again in uh, chapter 4, verse 1, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort, so once again exhort is used, in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. And uh, the next time is to urge in 4.10. Uh, he says, and indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia, talking about the ministry that this church had and out of Thessalonica, they were the whole region they were ministering to. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. So it kind of takes this sense of urgency with the comfort. They're drawing them close to comfort them, but they're urging them forward. And sometimes that's what we need to do as well to one another. And then um, in 4.18, therefore, we talked about this already after talking about the rapture, comfort one another with these words, draw one another close. Um, our verse that we're looking at, our current passage, therefore comfort each other and edify each other just as you also are doing. And one last time in verse 14 of chapter 5, now we exhort. So again, in this exhort, it's kind of a teaching idea. We exhort you to warn those, and then he gives them um, some instructions about the warning. So there are four different English words that have been translated from parakaleo, the Greek word, but they all have one thing in common. They all require relationship. They all require uh, relationship. So we look at these four words here with this word comfort. Uh, the word comfort, the word encourage, the word exhorting and urging, it's always in the context of community. So we cannot do these things and obey the instructions of the Bible if we are distant from one another as a church family. We can't accomplish it. Um, now, we can send good, you know, texts and emails, and I know sometimes that's just all we have, and that's okay. Um, but maybe even in that, are we encouraging one another? But 
but is our relationship growing? Or do we just kind of come in to church and kind of stay back? And I know some are less, you know, you might not be a people person, and you don't have to be to accomplish this, by the way. You can find that person maybe that you can connect with. You say, I don't really connect with everybody. That's fine. That's, that's not the purpose of this is to make everybody people people. Uh, the idea is that we have at least, uh, there's at least a person or a couple of people that we can say, I can connect. I'm really comfortable with that person. I'm going to try to connect with them. And sometimes God might stretch us and say, well, I know you're really comfortable with them, but I keep putting this person in your path. I want you to connect with them. So we've got to be kind of sensitive to the spirit in, in how we do this, but we cannot do this from a distance. We cannot do this outside of the bounds of relationship and go, well, I don't, I don't want to really be transparent because relationships are risky because they, they require us to be transparent. They require us to open up about ourselves. And what are we risking? We're risking being hurt. Love always risks hurt. And in fact, love in some senses, might even expect hurt because we're dealing one sinner to another. And so at some point, the relationship's going to break down at least a little bit, and it's going to hurt. So love says, I'm willing to be hurt by you. I'm willing to open myself up and be hurt by you. And I know that sounds like maybe a, um, a terrible way to describe love, but ultimately real love says, says that. It says, I'm going to love all of you, and I'm going to just ask you to love all of me, and I know sometimes that, that we're going to cross on that, and it's going to hurt at times, but I'm going to be willing to forgive you, and I'm going to be willing to stay, stick with you through whatever the, those issues are. And so, um, again, we're, we're to be comforting. Your hand is up. Mm -hmm. Paraclete, yes. Right. Yes, and that's really, yeah, paraclete comes alongside of, para is alongside of. And so um, the Holy Spirit is described this way. The Holy Spirit is the paraclete. He's the comforter that Jesus describes in the upper room when he's telling his disciples, hey, it's better for me to go because you're getting something way better than me. And they're like, how can anything be better than you? Oh, it's going to be the Holy Spirit. He's going to be inside of you. He's going to come alongside you, and he's going to love you and help you love other people. And that's the beauty of this comforting is that, we don't have to kind of work ourselves up and drum up a bunch of extra love for this person that we don't really want to love because they're not really the most lovable. We don't have to do that. The pressure's off. It's all God's love flowing through us. So you're like, Lord, I really don't feel like being kind to this person because they were rude to me or, you know, they're offensive or whatever. And God says, that's okay. Uh, you don't have to drum up a bunch of your own human love for them. I've got plenty of agape love from me, and I'm just gonna f it's just going to flow out of you. So just, you just be the channel and let it flow out. Um, and we talked about a verse last week about how the Holy Spirit makes God's love spring up and overflow into our lives. And so the, the pressure, and I find great comfort in that, like the pressure's off. I don't have to um, try to come up with a lot of good feelings even. Because remember, love is not feelings. It is actually action is what we do. So let's make sure we're comforting one another um, as we go along here. So whether we're comforting, ex encouraging, exhorting, or urging, we must do it in the context of community. And this is always going to require risk, but the reward is always greater than the risk. And that's how a lot of times we try to make decisions in life, especially wisdom decisions that the Bible's not super clear about. Sometimes one way to do that is risk versus reward. And we kind of try to pros and cons like, okay, I'm risking this, but here's the potential reward. I'm going to tell you, 
the, the risk of loving another person is very low compared to the potential reward that you have in close fellowship with someone. It's always going to be greater. Now, it won't always be greater in the sense that they're always going to do everything just right and love you, uh, but the ultimate reward will always be greater. Okay. All right, let's move on to the next thing. What else are we supposed to respond in this? We're supposed to comfort one another, and then he says to edify one another. Let's let her be edify. Um, He says, therefore, comfort each other and edify one another. So we've looked at comfort. Let's look at edify. What does it mean to edify? That word literally means to be a house builder. That's the literal word. So when the Greeks wanted to talk about um, a contractor that built built houses, this is the word that they would use. That's the literal uh, meaning of it. But, of course, we're using it in a metaphorical way. Uh, It really means to confirm, to build up. You know the word edifice is like a big building with a lot of big structure. That's the idea is that we're supposed to be building one another up. And, and supporting to make more able. And I like the word enable. We're supposed to be enabling one another to do what God has asked us to do. Um, and so we've talked about, uh, we looked at this um, also. This is used, uh, this is out of mounts as well. Uh, it's used 40 times in the Bible. In the Gospels, when it's used, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this word is uh, often has the normal meaning of building a physical structure. So w- Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John use the interpreters and even the way it's used in the context uh, in those books, it's more about the actual building, the literal meaning of it. Uh, but in, the, in Acts and the rest of the New Testament, it becomes a significant metaphor for the mutual encouragement and strengthening of the people of God. And so that's how we're looking at it uh, this morning. So we have, you think about a contractor or someone that builds houses, they have a responsibility, right? They have a responsibility to their contract or to whoever hired them to get the job done. And we are responsible to one another based on what God has done for us. So God has given us his instruction and we are responsible to build one another up to encourage one another. So he's given us the charge of building others up. It's a sense of enablement, enabling one another to move forward, to grow in their Christian walk. Now, we don't replace the Holy Spirit that's inside that person that's always working, okay? We don't replace God, but it's, it's and this is really um, baffling to me in a sense because God could just, he's all-powerful, so I, I think he could probably initiate and, and create in us everything we need to be because God is all in all. He is completely self-sufficient. But for some reason, God's, God chooses to use one another to build one another up. He did, I don't think he has to do it that way. I think he just wants to. He wants us to encourage and receive the blessing of being encouraged because what are we? We're the hands and feet of Christ. So we're his representation here on earth, and so it's our responsibility to build one another up instead of, what's the opposite of building up? Yeah, criticizing, confrontational, argumentative, negative, backbiting, 
gossiping, all of these things are like someone going up to a house with a sledgehammer and just starting to just wreck it. Just one thing, at swing at a time, break a wall, smash a window, tear a wall down, uh, you know, put holes in the roof. And unfortunately, we as believers, we can do this uh, before we know it. We, I mean, it happens quickly. Our, our attitudes can, and our emotions control, and it's easy to do. Yes, sir. Mike. Yeah. Okay. Found. Yeah. yeah, I like that. That's a great idea. So uh, Mike's a contractor and talking about building on a foundation. Well, who is the foundation that we're building on? Jesus Christ, right? So that's already been laid. There's nothing that's going to move that. It is solid rock. It's not moving. Um, but we are called to be the builders, the hands and feet that build up. So let's look at it a little bit more. Um, we're also, you can also think of the idea of strengthening another person. Uh, just like um, a contractor might come in and a remodel project and there's maybe some weak points in the house and they might add like some support beams and things in there to strengthen the existing structure so that it, it's stable and strong. And so if we can think about it that way too, not just building a new structure, but taking something that is kind of worn down. You ever feel worn down by life? Tired? You feel like your uh, spiritual roof is kind of sagging? What do you need? You need somebody to come and just gently push that back up to encourage to build up one another. That's, that's the idea. Uh, we're, we are to be making one another better as a result of being with us. It's a community improvement project. So are people better off from having known you or are they worse off from having known you? That's kind of a very personal question. Don't answer, but just think about it. It's, it's very personal. It's very challenging uh, to me as well. Um, we can see this uh, verse used in Acts 9.31, and then there's many other places. I think they said 40. We won't look at all those. We'll just look at this one. Acts 9.31, then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace. Okay, this is right after Paul uh, gets saved, and then he, he comes back in, onto the scene, and people are like, hey, this guy was hunting us down and throwing us in prison, and now he's preaching the gospel that he used to hate. And so there's, there's a, a period of time where Paul is only partially accepted by the church, and so uh, he has to patiently wait for people to see that it's, he's legit. Um, but once that happens, and Barnabas plays a part, and they go up to um, Antioch, uh, then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, the whole region, had peace and were edified. They were built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. So first the edification came. They had to be built up and strengthened. And then there was some multiplication that happened because uh, of what was happening there and what the Lord was doing. So what is the cause or foundation of edification. Well, it's really love. It has to be love. It can't be anything else, I don't believe. Uh, 1 Corinthians 8.1 says, now concerning things offered to idols, and that's a whole other context, so let's just move on. We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. So we can have a ton of biblical knowledge. Well, I know where that's found. I know that verse. I know this and that. 
And that's really, really good because the Holy Spirit is our teacher inside of us. So he's going to use those verses that we know to help us grow in Christ. But if we stop at knowledge, we're going to become puffed up. It, it creates a sense of um, pride or superiority. And I'm, I'm sure you've run into the people like that. I, maybe you've been a person like that. I think we all probably have it's in some sense um, where we um, take this knowledge and, and, and pride ourselves. And I li- it's so interesting. He talks about knowledge puffs up. It makes someone proud. But, you know, it's easily popped something that's puffy and airy. Um, But what does love do? Love edifies. Love edifies. So it's not about how much you know. So if, if you're a new believer or you just haven't gotten deep into the word and you feel like you just don't know a lot about it, it doesn't matter. It's love that, that, that does the edification. It's love that does the building up, um, not the knowledge. So let's move on now. Practical ways to edify and build each other up. And these are just a list. I mean, I, I, you could probably come up with a ton more, maybe better ones, but these are just some things, simple things, and you guys know these already, so um, I'm not trying to say you don't know them, but I, I, we'll talk about at the end how we need to be reminded. So we can say thank you. We can apologize quickly, uh, more observant, uh, quick to compliment, and slow to criticize. Uh, get the whole story before maybe we make a judgment. Consider the consequences before speaking. Encourage the conversation to move from the surface level to a meaningful level. So much of our conversations are surface level, and that's totally fine because that, they have to start somewhere. But at what point do you help the conversation move to a deeper meaning? How are you really doing? I know you said fine, but what's going on with your marriage? How's that going? And they, oh, that's nosy. Well, How can we build up, and remember the comfort is to drawing close, how can we do that if all we do is talk about the weather and the the really easy surface stuff and we never get below the surface, talk about real life? We can't really do it very well. So we need to encourage that. We need to choose uh, love. And then let's finish up here, this last thing. Um, Letter C, he gives us to remind one another. And he finishes verse 11 with an interesting phrase. He says, here's the things I want you to do. I want you to comfort each other, and I want you to edify one another. And then he says, just as you also are doing. Well, Paul, if they're already doing it, why do you need to feel that? Why do you feel the need to tell them again to do it? Well, we need to be reminded. Uh, and event, evidently, the Thessalonians were already doing these things, but Paul felt they needed to be reminded to keep going, just like we need to be reminded to keep going. Um, the writer to the Hebrews in chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things, the new things that we don't know about yet? No. To the things we have heard, lest we drift away. So there is such an importance on repetition in Scripture and all these lessons that are repeated over and over for our benefit. You say, well, shouldn't we just have to learn them once and then we're good and then we move on to the next thing? Well, We do need to keep learning new things, but we also need to review and be reminded of the things that we've already uh, known. Um, The Bible Knowledge Commentary, which um, I really strongly recommend this if you're interested in, you know, having a help with you while you're reading Scripture to help understand it. Uh, Bible Knowledge Commentary, it's a two-volume set, Old Testament, New Testament, really solid, really written. It's not high and lofty and, you know, um, complex. It's very... um, 
down to earth and easy to understand. So Bible knowledge, commentary, this is what he writes in there. Believers do not need to be hearing something new all the time. Uh, but they often do need to remind themselves of what they already know so they don't forget it. And, and it's just so true. We are naturally forgetful people when it comes to Scripture. And how do we know that? Well, we pass through a passage, and then, and then maybe it's months or a year later, and we pass through the passage again. We're like, I don't remember that from the last time. I didn't remember that uh, so-and-so king was the king at that time, and his son did this, or, or maybe it's a spiritual application thing or something about theology that we just never saw before. And we're like, oh, my goodness, I, I guess I probably heard that, but I just never knew that. How many times have you done that in your mind when someone is teaching or, or you're hearing something maybe on the radio or a podcast or something, and you hear something that you've probably heard a dozen other times, but for some reason it just clicks the 13th time that you've heard it, and now... You, you come away with that with a greater blessing. I mean, we need to be reminded. We tend to be forgetful people when it comes to God's instructions. And here's the thing. God knows that. And he kind of knows that because he's the one that made us and he understands our frailties. And he says, no, I know you guys are um, forgetful. That's one of the reasons he gave us his word in the written form. Aren't you so glad we can just keep going back to the book? and just keep opening the pages and reading it again and reading it afresh and reading it anew? What if, we could, what if we could just read through this one time and then we had to put it away and never get it out again? We would be so messed up. We, we'd be on our way to heaven, but man, we would be a messed up Christian, we'd be a messed up church um, if we didn't have this to go back to all the time. So um, celebrate and embrace the word. Um, it's there to remind us constantly. All right. Oops, I got out of order here. Oh, that means we're done. All right. Um, Bible reading plan. So whether you're doing the plan, the five-day plan we're doing, or you're doing something totally different, or you just picked up the Bible and started reading it just this last week and you came across something, what's your sentence? Something that you grasped out of the Word, something from the Scripture that encouraged you, that was really meaningful to you. This is our third week, I think, doing this. I've really enjoyed it. I'm hoping to get more of you um, involved. So maybe when you're reading this week, just write it down and bring it with you. Anybody have anything that they got out of the word? Jennifer. Last shall be first, first shall be last out of, out of Mark, out of the Mark readings. Yeah. yeah. Great. Any, anybody else? John. Even when I'm not faithful, he is all the time. Amen. Yes, sir. Amen. First John 5.13. Is that the right thing? that you may know. All right, Gail. You're in Matthew? Great. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, the Bible helps us do that, doesn't it? I'm so glad that you're studying, Gail. That's so great. Um, mine, and then I'll give mine, and then we'll close. And I just I forgot my passage, so. Um, so Joseph is brought before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, I want you to interpret the dream in Genesis 41.16. Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. It's not in me. It's God. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. I thank you for those that are um, engaging with it throughout the week. Help us all to be faithful to that in some degree this next week. Um, Thank you for the study here. I pray that you continue to help us to comfort one another, to draw close, to um, be willing to be transparent to some degree, to build a trust relationship uh, with others so that uh, we can edify, we can build up, we can have discernment on how to do that. Lord, that's a daunting task you've given us, and it might make us insecure in our own strength. Thank you that it's your love that flows through us. So help us to be busy about doing that and building one another and comforting one one another. And uh, we just thank you again for your word that we can keep going back to and be reminded of these things. In Jesus' name, amen.